The gospel reading this morning is from Matthew chapter 17, verses 1 through 9. And I'd ask that you do something a little different this morning. Please close your eyes as I read the passage. Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and his brother and his brother John and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became dazzling white. Suddenly there appeared to them Moses and Elijah, talking with him. Then Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it's good for us to be here. If you wish, I will make three dwellings here, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, suddenly a bright cloud overshadowed them, and from the cloud a voice said, This is my son, the beloved, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell to the ground and were overcome by fear. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Get up and do not be afraid. And when they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus himself alone. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus ordered them, Tell no one about the vision until after the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. This is the word of the Lord. Have you ever been absolutely blown away by a thing of beauty? For a moment, your heart seems to skip a beat, and your breath is suspended, and you can hardly take it in. I still can't describe for you the way that I feel in Yosemite National Park or Giant Sequoia National Park when I am in a grove of giant sequoia trees. I can tell you that the trees are really big and really tall. I could even use fancy words and say that they are majestic and tremendous. And I could explain to you how those very same trees have been there since Jesus was a boy. And I could tell you how the base, the trunk of those trees would take up this entire chancel area. I could describe to you the devastating forest fires that these very same trees have withstood with their fire-resistant bark. And I could show you their tiny little pine cones, these tiny pine cones that make these massive trees. And I could explain to you how their roots are interlaced underground, which goes on for miles, and this is what allows the trees to stand so tall. But I know better than to think that I could describe for you either the grandeur of the trees themselves or the way that I feel in their presence. It is holy ground for me. Poor Craig was telling me last week about his trip to Yosemite, and I couldn't help but go on and on and on about the trees. Words fail me, and in such a place, words even offend me. All I can do is keep silent. Indeed, a thing of beauty is a joy to behold. One of my favorite parenting moments with Nikki happened on a road trip when we were heading up to Wyoming. 
This was in my single parent days when I was raising my niece, daughter. So it was just she and I on the open road, a 12-year-old in a car for days. We were making a few side trips along the way, stopping at some of the national parks in Utah. After hours of driving, both Nikki and I were getting a little car crazy. Goofiness had overtaken the vehicle, and we were ready to get out of the car and move around a bit. As we made our way into Bryce Canyon National Park, there were pretty little pine trees around and some sagebrush, nothing all that spectacular. We parked in a fairly normal-looking parking lot. As soon as we had parked the car, Nikki ran out ahead of me to get to the overlook. As I caught up with her, my constantly chattering child was utterly speechless. Looking out over the vast canyon, all of the hoodoos, those miraculous little structures of red and beige and orange stone, she couldn't find the words to describe what she was seeing. To see this rambunctious 12-year-old struck mute by the awe and beauty and majesty that was before her still brings me incredible joy. I have been awestruck by the creation of beautiful music, by the precious breath of a newborn baby in my arms, by the touching grace of beautiful weddings, and even at the 70th anniversary of much-beloved parishioners. A thing of beauty is indeed a joy to behold. Beauty has a way of reaching us and seizing us and demanding our adoration. In the absence of the right words to express our gratitude, our adoration, we rise to our feet, we fall to our knees, we clap our hands with enthusiasm. Worship takes many forms. Our word worship comes from an Anglo-Saxon word meaning worthship. To worship means to recognize the true worth of something, to recognize and adore the value of someone or something. Sometimes worship or worthship leaves us speechless, dumbstruck, grasping for words. And other times it draws us to our feet, dancing and clapping. And at other times we fall to our knees in utter and complete surrender. Good worship is a thing of beauty. It has a way of reaching out to us, of seizing our hearts and leaving us speechless. Today's passage from Matthew's Gospel is a story of an encounter with God that left the disciples at a loss for words. It is a story of the transfiguration, of Jesus' transfiguration on a mountaintop. It is one of the biblical texts that is meant to be enjoyed and wondered at and relished with delight. It doesn't lend itself to picking apart and rationalization and meticulous interpretation. Rather, it just invites us to be in the moment, which is why I suggested we close our eyes for the reading of the gospel today. It is a text that calls us to turn off our analytical minds and to join the disciples in wonder, 
at what was being revealed to them. This is the last Sunday of Epiphany. Epiphany, as you remember, means revealing. It is the season of Jesus being revealed to his disciples, whether he's being revealed in his baptism, which had the same words as today's text, this is my beloved, or whether he's being revealed in the Transfiguration or in the Sermon on the Mount, wherever Jesus is being revealed, this is what the season of Epiphany is about. Next Sunday, we will begin our journey of Lent. But today's story invites us to be voyeurs, witnesses in an intimate experience of worship on a mountaintop with Jesus and his inner circle of disciples. Jesus had, divide, had invited Peter and James and John to join him for some retreat time on the mountain. Mountains are important places in the Bible. It's one of these places where one goes up to meet God. Remember Moses going up the mountain to meet God? And so if you are a disciple of Jesus and he invites you to go up to the mountain with him, you had better go post-haste, get on your best pair of hiking sandals, go ahead and leave your cell phone behind, because something amazing is about to happen. And it was most certainly worth their time. While Jesus was up on that mountain, something happened. Something happened to God. God couldn't seem to contain God's joy, God's delight, God's favor. And Jesus suddenly looked different, physically different. The gospel writers don't seem to know how to describe what just happened to Jesus' appearance. They fumble, talking about some whiteness in his clothing. Giant sequoias are tall. Bryce Canyon is beautiful. A Rachmaninoff piano concerto is pretty. Jesus became dazzling white. I feel bad for the gospel writers. It's really hard to describe the holy. I've tried, and it can't be done, at least not well anyway. So Jesus' clothes became dazzling white. And then another strange thing happened up there on the mountain. Moses and Elijah appeared with them. There is Moses and Elijah and Jesus talking on the mountain. That is the law and the prophets and the very wisdom of God are talking up on a mountain. The scriptures say that they appeared in glory. I love the word glory. Glory is the part of God that we can see, that we can feel, that we can experience. And so they were there. Jesus, Elijah, Moses, Peter, James, and John totally awestruck as they looked on at this miraculous sight. And then Peter did what I probably would have done. He said, can I get you fellas some coffee? You want to spend the night? I can put up a tent. We can hang out here. It'll be real fun. I, you know, no pressure, but you know, I think it'd be great if we could spend as much time here as possible. Poor Peter. I mean, bless his heart. He is surrounded by the glory of God, and he doesn't want to let that moment slip by. I would do the same thing. He doesn't know what to do with himself. We are all so hungry for those moments, those moments of sacred encounter. And while Peter was desperately trying to make arrangements for a camp out, 
God's heart begins bubbling over with love and joy. A voice called out to them, maybe cried out to them, pleaded for them from the cloud, This is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. And that was it. Silence. And then they were gone, Moses and Elijah. And it was just Jesus and his disciples on the mountaintop. And it was quiet. What else was there to say? No words. Worship at its finest. Some folks like to say that they are Christians, that they believe in Jesus, but they don't go to church. They're good people, try to love other people, show compassion. Isn't that what the Christian faith is all about? And indeed, the Christian faith is about showing compassion, but it's about so much more. Going to church is not about getting a good pep talk for the week on good Christian living, but it is about praise and worship and grounding yourself in something that is so much bigger than you. It is about awe and wonder and praise. Before it is anything that we do, any song that we sing, the Christian faith is about something that God does about a self-revealing love of God, a bubbling over of grace, about a gift. To reduce our faith to mere morality or a set of good behaviors, a checklist of things to do, is to miss the wonder of God's revelation in Christ. We come to worship each week not because we've got God contained here in this building, but because we are hungry And we need, we need to be lifted beyond ourselves, beyond the mundane realities of our lives, beyond our petty preferences and our subtle idolatries. We need to be lifted beyond ourselves to the actual wonder and majesty of God that calls us beyond the constant nonsense of our world. And even the most beautiful hymn cannot speak of God And no prayer can contain the words that we long to say. No stained glass window is lovely enough. No organ grand enough. No choir magnificent enough. No sermon, certainly no sermon eloquent enough to speak of the unspeakable, to name the glory of God. But we try. We try over and over and over again. We come here each week to set ourselves in God's presence and to allow God to be revealed among us. And then the Spirit of the Lord intervenes, blessing our words, elevating our voices, and lifting our hearts, and worship, true worship, happens. And it is a thing of beauty and a joy to behold. This is the last Sunday of Epiphany, this season of the church year marked by light, by stories of God being revealed among us. And of course, it is no accident that this story of the transfiguration, this mountaintop, is the final story of this season of the year. But the thing is, while we hear this great miraculous epiphany story as a story that happened once upon a time so many years ago, the truth is that there are no shortages of epiphanies in our world and in our lives. 
There are, as the ancient Celtic people of Ireland used to say, thin places in our lives, thin places where the door between heaven and earth open just a hair, and we can see and glimpse the divine in action. Just a glimpse is all we need, and really probably all that we can take. The Celts, being a people who were very comfortable with the mystical, would point to a glassy pond or in in hushed tones speak of the sacredness of the pond. It is a thin place, a place where you might encounter God. Shh, look around. There are thin places all around us. My guess is that most of you here have known such thin places in your own lives places of epiphany where God has been made known to you. Few of us know Jesus on the mountaintop the way that Peter and James and John did that day, but we have known Jesus. For some, the the thin place is the singing of a particular hymn. For others, they glimpse heaven in the breathtaking beauty of creation Some thin places are revealed in the dark and painful hours of the night when tears or loneliness or grief or disappointment loom large. It's not only that God is revealed in the light. Darkness can be a thin place as well. There are no shortages of epiphanies in our world. And it is my prayer that someday whether it is stumbling into a service here on a Sunday morning that you barely got yourself to, but you planted yourself into a pew, and God meets you there. Or perhaps you will find a thin place when you are driving down the street or digging in your garden or fretting over your children. Somewhere in the midst of your life, you and I will be granted perhaps many times, a precious moment where the glory of the Lord is revealed and it will leave us speechless and silent and it will draw us to our feet in untamed gratitude and adoration. And I pray that the God of beauty might reach down to you and to me and to all of us and might seize us just as God seized Peter. Lord, it is good for us to be here. And in the midst of the wonder, in the midst of the grandeur of any of these moments, may we know God's presence speaking to us and say, saying this, this is my beloved. Listen to him. Let us pray. Gracious God, your glory is revealed all around us. Your glory is revealed in mountains and stars and galaxies, your story is revealed in the tender laughter of children, in the great scores of music, and in the sweet moments we share with loved ones. Help us, God, to be people who open ourselves to those moments of epiphany and wonder, of praise and adoration that we might see Christ in the midst of our lives, knowing that he is your beloved and that we are called to listen.
Guide us and show us Christ. Amen.